This is Diva Marie Gregory. Welcome to Corpse Run Radio. Vol'jin said I should step out of the shadows. So I did. Here I am asking you to join the fight. I am your leader, the Banshee Queen, the Dark Lady. Welcome to Corpse Run Radio. This is Corpse Run Radio. We are the Forsaken. The Forsaken. Your queen appreciates your allegiance, Grand Nagus. Hello and welcome to episode 112 of Corpse One Radio. I'm not going to go into anything regarding the issues we've had in the community over the last week. I recorded a seven-minute bit earlier before I recorded this, and I just couldn't do it. I didn't get anywhere close to what I wanted to say. If you want to listen to discussions about this topic or other uh, or the topic in general, you can go to Whispers of War and listen to that show. That should be out mid midweek, I think, 30th, something like that. It's the 29th today. This show is going to release on the 29th. So I think Sil said something along the lines of Tuesday or Wednesday. This is Monday now, so... Yeah, give her show a shot if you want more um, information about this very difficult topic. Today we are finally going to hear the second part of the story of Shandra's Feathermoon that we started with part one on episode 111. Then we have Hero Maradex with another villain's corner. We have music from Charm, and then we have something from Hazel. So with that, let's listen to part two of two of the story of Shantra's Feathermoon. Here is Novel 87. Hello everyone. Last week, we began the story of Chandris, talking about how she survived the War of the Ancients, became a part of Tyrande's family, and became the captain of the Sentinels. Their forces watched over the lands and united during Warcraft 3 to once again save the world from Archimonde and the Legion by blowing up their world tree Nordrasil. Victory was secured, but it also meant that the Night Elves lost their immortality, which leaves them vulnerable to aging and sickness for the first time in over 10,000 years. It also became more difficult for their druids to enter the Emerald Dream. So it was that Fendral Stackhelm, he suggested that they should just plant a new world tree. Seeing how his previous attempts at planting happy little trees, how they resulted in them being corrupted, Malfurion, he thought that this was a bad idea, so he rejected the plan. Something that Stackhelm didn't appreciate. One night, he decides to ambush their Shondo, plunging him deep into a coma, trapping his spirits within the depths of the Emerald Dream. With Malfurion out of the way, he then took up leadership of their Scenarian Circle and guided them into creating a new home for the elves. Teldrassil, they called it. But unknown to most was that Fendral was being manipulated. That old enemy that Chandris and Malfurion defeated and turned into a tree. Xavius, he has not been vanquished. Instead, he made some brand new friends, like the old gods trapped on the planet. And through this new tree, the corruption of the Emerald Nightmare spreads. Meanwhile, Chandris, having earned a title general, she stationed in Feralis at the amply named Fedemoon Stronghold. She and the researcher Quintus Jonespire, they've had long conversations about Stackhelm, hoping that Tyrande would formally reprimand him for his strange activities. But the High Priestess had only reminded them that the Scenarian Circle, it operated outside of her authority. Still, Quintus had been shrewd enough to see the darkness growing within Stackhelm before anyone else, and shrewder still to know that he would be saved from the Archduets while under Chandris' watch. And that's saying quite a lot, considering that they're constantly dealing with the threat of the Hatecrest Naga. 
Remember that these are Azara's followers, washed away at the end of the War of the Ancients and transformed by the old god Nazoth. They're roaming the ruins of Solazar, and heroes are recruited by Chandris and the people of the Stronghold to help them deal with the Naga. They also uncover the Fred of the Silophids, which is an ancient buck race allied to the old god Kafun. Such a massive threat, it would consume all of Pharellus, if nothing's done about it. So Chandris makes the wise decision to inform Darnassus. This, of course, and other reports, it led to a wide faction cross event, the opening of the gates of Ankiraj and taking on the old god Kafun. Faction Cross, as at this point in time, the Horden Alliance, they're not exactly on friendly terms with one another. Four years have passed since the mortal races banded together and stood united against the might of the Burning Legion. Though Azeroth was saved, the tenuous pact between the Horde and the Alliance has all but evaporated. The drums of war thunder once again. The Sentinels hold their grounds against the Warsong Outriders, as the Hordes, they invade their lands in need of resources. Attempts at negotiating and bargaining between the factions, they have been made. But outside influences, they made sure that peace was not going to happen, and that conflict would only escalate the closer and closer we got to the Cataclysm. Now, before the world was transformed, we saw the return of Malfurion, described in the novel Stormrage. Xavius, now going by the title of Nightmare Lords, he's manipulated Stackhelm, which led to the corrupted World Tree, and he captured Malfurion. A great danger to their people, it lurks in their very home. Alune herself grants Tyrande a vision. Malfurion is dying, and if they don't act now, her beloved might be lost forever. So, the High Priestess goes on an adventure against the Nightmare. While the daughter Chandris, she's asked to keep watch over Darnassus. In her ever-narrowed eyes, there rests an almost zealous determination. Tyrande knew that the zealous determination, it was all due to her. That Chandris in many ways felt that she existed only to serve the High Priestess. Chandris had become the daughter Tyrande had never had, and like none she would have ever expected. She had never wanted to turn that frightened young orphan into a war machine. But she had meaning that one of the most skilled warriors kept watch over their home. While Malfurion was eventually released from the grasp of the Emerald Dream, now turned into the Emerald Nightmare, and all that corruption within their tree and their leadership is brought to the surface. The entire world of Azeroth is engulfed in mists, with people falling asleep to never wake up. Under the guidance of Malfurion, the world rises up and fight against the Nightmare, while he, together with Tyrande, they're able to defeat Xavius, push the Nightmare back, but knowing that the war was far from over. They knew that it would return one day, but for now the world was safe. Teldrassil is actually cleansed of its corruption, while Falstad is imprisoned. Now this book is a massive story, which honestly has more to do with Malfurion and Tyrande reuniting. Moshandris, she held her ground in Arnassus. The tale it ends with her adopted parents, Malfurion mostly, finally waking up and seeing how precious their time together actually is. He has spent so much of the millennia walking the dream rather than be at his beloved side. Time to change that with a little wedding, a ceremony led by Alexstrasza and Ysera, while Chandris and Bro Bramantle, they were invited to be their witness. Chandris and Bro strode behind the pair, both also adorned with long cloaks akin to those of the Archdruid and the High Priestess but not quite as grand. Their task was to stand as witness and strength for their respective companions, a task of which they were clearly very proud. As a gift, their daughter managed to procure a alorel, or lover's leaf. Its heart-shaped leaves curl along graceful branches. According to an ancient but completely unfounded Kaldorai legend, the alorel it will only bloom for a couple who share a perfect love. Though this ceremony shall be brief, let it forever mark the culmination of 10,000 years of love, of destiny, Alexstrasza and Ysera said. Let there be peace for this pair, who have brought it to all others, who is sacrificed for all others. Beautiful words, but this is Warcraft after all, and peace, it rarely finds a time to bloom. 
Deathwing the Destroyer, he was ready to break out of the worlds and usher in the Cataclysm, dramatically changing the surface of the worlds. Massive tidal waves, hurricanes, storms, nature was an uproar with his violent breakouts. Over in Pharellis, we have Chandris and her sentinels desperately trying to hold the line, but the rising waters, combined with the Naga attacks, it forces them to abandon their stronghold to the Naga. Desperately, they try to get the civilians to safety, but the enemy's numbers, they seem nearly endless. There is a really cool part though, where Chandris, she tells her sentinels to get to the tower, get to higher ground, while she herself leaps down from the roof into the water down below. The Naga turns, rushing toward her with renewed vigor. She waited, letting them move in until the timing was right. Closing her eyes, she began to whisper an ancient prayer to Elun. Each word grounded in faith and reverence, just as Saranda had taught her long ago when she trained as a priestess of the moon goddess. The serpents encircled the night elf general, and she heard more than one low laugh of amusement ripple among them as she finished uttering the sacred words. Loon's answer came swiftly. Streams of energy felt all of the naga around her, even as they gaped in disbelief. When the last rattling death cry was silence, Chandre surveyed the corpses in grim satisfaction. Your faith was always weak, highborn filth. Very similar to how her mother held her ground on that bridge during Warcraft 3. But no one can keep fighting on forever, not even those blessed by a loon. A siren flanked by a pair of imposing myrmidons, serving the Lady Sinastra, they offered terms of peace. All they wanted was the head of her mistress, the false queen Tyrande. Chandris fired an arrow into the Naga's sycophantic smile. The creature convulsed, grasping to her throat, but her screams only emerged as sprays of blood. Choking, she sank to the ground. Chandris eyed the guards coldly. Take that to your lady. Daring to speak of death of her mother. How foolish these Naga must be. They have forgotten the taste of defeat. And by the time that Tirana and Malfurion show up to help out, they soon enough taste the power of these loving elves while working together. But their daughter isn't doing too great though. Inside the tower, she is found on the floor, a pool of blood glistening across the floorboards. A sob caught in Tirana's throat as she rushed to the wounded elf's side. She fell to her knees and began to pray, scarcely able to form the words in her grief. Alone, grant me this if nothing else. Spare her, please. She is my daughter. She believes that I saved her. But it is she who saved me again and again. My life would be empty without her in it. Tears streamed down her cheeks, glittering like the trails of stars. Melfurion ran up behind her, but she was too distraught to notice his presence until his hand had grasped hers. This simple gesture anchored her, and beneath it all, she could feel him add his powers to hers as she tried to heal Chandris. They watched her for a long moment, barely breathing. Then Chandris's eyelashes fluttered and she opened her eyes drowsily. Rolling her head slightly to the side, she tried to focus on the shapes hovering before her. Shapes of people she knew. Minda? Anda? She asked blarily, her brow knitted in confusion. Tyrande had no words. Her tears dripped to the floor, further darkening the stained wood. She placed her hand on Chandris's shoulder and took a long breath. Your parents still rest with Elun, Chandris, but you do not. Elun answered their prayers, and that flower that Chandris had given them as a wedding present, it had so far not bloomed quite yet. But this story, Melfurion being there for Toronto when she needed him most, together bringing back Chandris from the brink of death. It was now covered with buds on the verge of blooming. Their love and unity is strong. A good thing too, as the troubles of the Cataclysm, they'd only just begun. With the transformation of the world, we also saw quite a bit of change amongst the factions, like Warchief Thrall stepping down and Garrosh taking over. He never believed in Thrall's way of trying to work together. The Horde is strong and should just take whatever it needs, like the lands of the Elves. For the Alliance, we see that the Cataclysm brought down the Grey Main Wall, Gilneas having to deal with the Worgen Curse, which calls back to those Night Elf Druids which embraced the pack form and being banished to the Emerald Dream. They are aided by the Night Elves in regaining their sanity and humanity. 
For now, they hang out at Teldrassil, hoping to rejoin the Alliance. A story which is told in the novel Wolfhearts, which actually deals with two different storylines. One is the Horde's aggression and the Worgen trying to rejoin the faction. The other is the return of Jared Shadowsong and dealing with his sister Maya. Remember how Jared became the commander of the forces during the War of the Ancients and then disappeared? He and Chandris having a bit of fling for one another, eyes only for each other. Well, Jared has spent his 10,000 years with someone else, his beloved Shalazir. But the destruction of Nordrasil, it meant mortality for the elves. Shalazir has fallen ill and her dying wish is for Jared to bring her back to their people. Not just so that she could pass away amongst them, but also make sure that Jared didn't stay in exile. But his return was quickly noticed, and the reunion with Chandris, it was very emotional. His wife had just passed away, something that she offered him condolences and sympathies for, while at the same time she envied Shalazir for being the one that Jared had loved. He in turn offered her apologies for disappearing and the way that things had ended. Sure enough, nothing ever truly happened between them, but there's no denying that there was something going on. Shadowsong, however, he knew that their lives were going in different directions. He never wanted that role of leader or title of hero. He felt out of place in their new society. While her duty has always been to the temple, their high priestess and their people. It simply wasn't their time. The story in the book ends with Jared uncovering that his sister Mayev kinda lost her mind while her brother was away. She goes about murdering the recently returned Highborn. Actions eventually stopped by Jared and Malfurion, which forces Mayev to run. While in Eschenville, Chandris and Tyrande, they fight a bitter war against Garrosh and the Hordes. The Warchief deploys some brutal tactics, like unleashing the Magnetar, captured and brought over from Northrend. They might have even won this war, was it not for Varyndrin being the chosen of the demigod Goldrin, leading the Gilnean Worgen in an overwhelming assault. Garrosh is forced to retreat, hatching more plans for the future. Gen and his people, they're accepted back into the Alliance. While Tyrande, she looks towards the future for her beloved daughter. She makes sure that Jared is sent over to Chandris to get some aid from the Sentinels. Aid to track down his missing sister. For those of you that played Legion, this storyline might sound a bit strange to the ears. As that expansion, we saw Mayev and Jared hang out again. The explanation given was that Jared was simply wrong in his assumptions about her. Which, in my opinion, was a little bit of a weak explanation. All in all, they just wanted to drop this storyline build up and have Mayev back into the storyline, considering that Illidan also returned with Legion. While the whole romantic part between Jared and Chandris, that hasn't really been continued. Instead, we see her still leading their forces in Ferellis. A brand new Feathermoon stronghold has been built, training up some new worker recruits and taking on threats like the Naga, the Gorduni Ogres and the Woodpaw Knolls. But Garrus' defeat in Ashenville, it was only the start for what he planned to do with the Hordes. The next target was Vedamore Isle, where Jaina Proudmoore had set up base, nice and close to Orgrimmar, so that she and Thrall could keep the peace going. Garrosh is taking great pleasure in ripping apart the alliances built up by Thrall. The Horde is summoned for war, marches towards Jaina's home, but for some reason, the Warchief decides to hold off his troops, simply have them wait, give Vedamore all the time it needs to gather the most powerful allies that the alliance has to offer. Chandris' battle sister would not stand alone against the might of the Horde. Yet unknown to all was that Garrosh had no intention on winning the battle simply with troops. He had waited to do as much damage to the Alliance as possible, since the stolen focusing Iris transformed into a bomb that is dropped upon Ferramore Isle. A whole lot of death followed, but Chandris was out of a mission with Risa Windrunner when the city was struck. They were some of the lucky ones able to avoid the carnage. They kept on the fights. The horse assaults would eventually be stopped. The tides of war even turned against them. And over time, the horde started to realize that this war chief Garrosh, that he was leading them down a very dark path. A rebellion rose up, kicking Garrosh out of the mantle of war chief. But they didn't instantly end his life. Instead, a trial followed to answer him for his crimes. While Chandris was present at the proceedings, that did not stop Kairos and Refion from setting Garrosh free, all the way to an alternate reality where Hellscream could form a brand new horde. 
And while the dragons had plans to have that horde stand with us against the coming Threaded Legion, Garrosh, he had his own plans in mind. The Dark Portal turned red, the Iron Horde tried to claim the world, but we quickly pushed them back and followed through. While our main focus was on dismantling the Iron Horde, eventually deal with Gul'dan and the Burning Legion. There were several interesting quest lines, which were picked up at the Lunafall Inn for the Alliance, or at the Frostfall Tavern for the Hordes. One of these quest givers was none other than Chandris, though at the time her identity was kept a secret. A called ranger, it asked heroes to aid her in her search of an important someone, the High Elf Illyria Windrunner. She would reward any sign of high elven weaponry that we might come across, which we actually do. A silverlined arrow is found at the Shadowmoon Burial Grounds, a hint of things to come in the expansion that followed, the Expansion Legion. In it, we saw once again the return of the Legion. Like during the War of the Ancients, like during Warcraft 3, once more they've shown up to try and claim the world. And while her parents had to deal with the return of Xavius the Nightmare Lord, Chandris's role was more connected to the Hunter Order Hall, as heroes found out that she's a member of the Unseen Path. This is an order of hunters, archers, rangers, beastmasters and trappers. The Sentinels, the Farstriders, the Dark Rangers, heroes like Rexar, Verissa or Haldron, they can be found amongst their ranks. Xavius was not her target. Instead, she assisted with another terrible threat that was seen during the War of the Ancients. She helped the Unseen Path with taking down Hakkar the Houndmaster, similar to how Malfurion had done the same during the War of the Ancients. Sadly, the game, it wasn't really able to portray him in the same way. But all the same, he was defeated. We even reconnected with Illyria and Terellian. We took the battle all the way to Argus and imprisoned the Dark Titan Sargeras. Bit of a sore loser though, as his final strike, it has plunged a sword deep into the world, wounding the Titan spirit within. All across its surface, Azerite pops up, a super powerful resource to be used for healing or destruction. The Horde's new new warchief, Sylvanas Windrunner, she sees this as an opportunity for war. Once more, the Horde marches through Night Elven lands, while Chandris and some of their finest, they're en route to Syllabus, trusting their intel that that is where the Horde would focus their efforts. By the time that they figure out it's actually aimed at their home, the legendary general of the Sentinels, she of a thousand battles, she believes that it's a brilliant plan. Every step is calculated. She could appreciate that, but the Horde did not bargain on their travel being so very slow. The druids are asked to bring them some wind so they can quickly travel back home and take the battle to the Hordes. But as we know, it would all be for nothing. Teldrassil is put to the torch, the genocide of the Night Elves. The Keldori lands have finally been claimed by the Hordes, while those that did manage to escape, they take shelter in Stormwinds. But one defeat does not mean losing the war. New allies are gathered on both sides. The Alliance, they reconnect with Kal Tiras. While the Horde, they earn the support of the Zandalari. The events of Battle for Azeroth show Chandris at the front, aiding heroes in the war campaign, which started in Voldoon, taking on the Reliquary. A successful mission to be certain, but there is some troubling news that reveals itself. The Horde have accepted a Sand Lane amongst their ranks, vampiric elves led by Blood Prince Draven. He murders one of our gnome allies and then teleports away. He is a threat for another day though, as the next mission, it sees Chandris going into the lands of Nashmir, blood troll territory, to take out Ariel, a captain of Sylvanas' Dark Rangers. Joining her on this mission is none other than John J. Cashon, quite a hero in his own right and Warcross version of Rambo. She lets him know that it's okay to be at ease around her, but he has read her file from the SI-7. She's been alive for more than 10,000 years, fought in more wars than he could ever imagine. Far as he's concerned, he's barely worthy of serving next to her. Not knowing that she also read up on him, he's quite surprised that a decorated elven general even knows about someone like John, but he's a hero in his own right. Together, they take on the threats of Nasmir, as well as the captain. She mentions that they once fought side by side, two, maybe three thousand years ago, which probably means that they stood together during the Troll Wars. Regardless, Ariel goes down, dropping an interesting line about Sylvanas trying to save them from the darkness. Perhaps this is something that we'll see further explained during Shadowlands. For now, our adventures in Nashmir, it ends with slaughter at the hands of the Blood Prince. We try to ambush him, 
But instead, he murders nearly our entire party. Kushan is barely able to survive, while Chandra swears that Drevan is going to pay. She tracks him down. While the horde is busy, we collected some corpses underwater. That monster is now training other Sen Lane. Their blood-infused crystals, they empower them, bolstering their unholy abilities. So we make sure to get rid of them. Below deck, Chandris harnesses her rage and her grief to shatter the barrier keeping us from our prize. Draven is in the middle of draining the Forsaken crew members. Not a lot of meat on their bones. But no matter. He'll just tell Sylvanas that we were the ones to kill them before he killed us. That's not going to happen though. And while Falstad gives us air support, occasionally stunning the Blood Prince with his hammer, Chandris won't let her vengeance slip away. A loon is with her, granting her the strength to strike down Draven, strike him down and avenge her fallen sisters. She then goes out to help us prepare for the attack on the Zaralor. Even joins us as a champion, willing to be sent out on missions. Yet despite helping with the preparations, she would not actually be there at the battle for the Zaralor. Instead, it's her homeland that calls her back. As Thrawn and the Night Elves, they're done with waiting. The time for vengeance has come. And if the Alliance won't stand with them, then they'll do it themselves. Thrawn goes on ahead in pursuit of an ancient, dangerous ritual. After seeing their people abandon the Teldrassil, she's quite done with asking Elune for guidance and power. Now she's ready to demand it. What ritual do you speak of, Maiev? Who is the Night Warrior? She is the incarnation of Elune's wrath. Even witnessing the ritual to become her would put our lives at risk. And the only life Taronda wishes to risk is her own. Elune, watch over her. Elune? Was she watching over us as Teljasil burned? We must not lose faith in the goddess. That is just what the Horde wants. Maiev, what makes this ritual so dangerous? Legend says that long ago, Elune bestowed her fury upon our greatest warriors to secure Kalimdor in a sacred ritual. The strongest among them became her avatar, the Night Warrior. Our victory was swift. None who have attempted the ritual since then have survived. Elune's raw power tears them apart. There she is! But Tyrande, with the aid of Chandris, my Yefana forces, she is able to successfully complete the ritual, and she becomes the Night Warrior. The Horde has no idea what's coming for them. Not only are their forces pushed into the retreats, the battle like Darkshore, it would eventually be won by the Alliance, which means that the Night Elven lands have been reclaimed. While the story in Battle for Azeroth, that will continue with our forces being invited into Nashatar. This is the capital of the Naga and the Elves' former Queen Azara. Unsurprisingly, it was not Tyrande or Melfurion returning to confront the Queen. Instead, the Alliance, they joined Chandris in exploring the ruins of Zinajari, while the Hordes, they do pretty much the same, but with Felistra. Little the Sentinels, stand a lowborn commoner who fancies herself a general. Filth like you shall be washed from the streets of Zinajari. And during all of this, the Alliance and Horde would band together against the Jara, and then against Warchief Sylvanas. She leaves the Horde behind to push forward with her plans into the Shadowlands, leaving Tyrande with quite the hate boner. It's all fine and dandy that the Alliance and Horde want to hold hands once again and try to go for peace, but the Night Warrior's lust for vengeance, it needs to be sated. The armistice is signed. At long last, the fourth war is over. Not while the Black Moon still cries out for vengeance. Not until the Horde has answered for its treachery. Further bloodshed will not bring back the Fallen. We must renew our hope and forge a future for those who survived. And when the next war chief musters an army, will hope save you if it is Stormwind that burns? I know it's difficult to trust, but there are signs of change within the Horde. In place of a war chief, there is now a council, led by Bane, Thrall, and the others. I believe they can- Your faith is naive, Lion Son. I will sign no treaty unless it is written in the Banshee's blood! There is truth in her words, Anduin. Peace may be on the table today, 
But soon enough, the Horde will sound their drums and march for war. When that day comes, no scrap of parchment will hold them back. The path to peace will not be easy, and not all will choose to walk it. But this is the only way to build a better future. I believe it will work, Gen. It has to. You spoke harshly to King Anduin Toronda. The Kaldori can ill afford to shun the Alliance. They have provided aid and comfort to us in these dark times. The young king is foolish to trust our enemies. Harsh words should be the least of his fears. The Banshee Queen no longer leads the Horde. Those who do seem more inclined toward peace than war. If the wolf is rabbit, it matters not who rides it. Sooner or later, the beast will bear its fangs. You are dearest to my heart, Taronda. I beg you, let go of the Black Moon's rage and embrace the Mother's light once again. I could not bear to lose you to darkness. Know this. My hunger for vengeance will not be sated so long as Sylvanas Windrunner remains free. And until I know why Elun abandoned her children. Taronda, do not say such... I will tarry no longer in this city of men. Let us leave for the bowels of Nordrasil. From there, we will dispatch the Sentinels to every corner of Azeroth. Let no one rest until the Banshee is found. We know that a mother is going to have her part to play in the next expansion within Shadowlands, but only time is going to tell how that's going to play out and where the story of Chandris might take her. Safe to say that over the millennia, she has earned her rank of legendary general, respected amongst both friend and foe, disciplined with an intense focus, so, should ever the worst happen to Taronda, I'd imagine that someone like Chandris would be right to take over. Perhaps we'll one day see her standing there, Jared at her side, leading the Night Elf people. Goddess watch over you. Thank you very much for watching everyone. I really, really hope that you enjoyed the story of Chandris Feramoon. Subscribe if you like my videos, leave a like if you enjoyed this one, and until next time, see ya! Like every night elf and I really didn't sleep much last night. I'm sorry, that's fine. But I just think I need a little me time. I just think I need a little tree time. Little break from the songs in an elf life. Last year, I had a meltdown. Well not me, my tree had a shakedown. Had to see a botanist and I found out something funny's going on in my tree house. Yeah, I started thinking maybe I should move out. You know, pack my hop, take a new route, clean up my yard, get a loon out, hang my hut up, let it air out. I've been searching, what does that mean, Sean? I've been learning, grabbing my keepsakes, leaving some burning While I bought a few with me, I'm not perfect Looking at the view like this concerns me Will I see the hold right? I'm quite nervous Hate it when Sylvanas gets this angry and things might hurt me It's probably gonna be a long journey, but hey It's worth it though, cold world out there Kids grab your coat, it's been a minute, I know Now I'm back to bow, looking for the melody to sing the woe Pretty vivid, I admit it, I'm in classic mode Don't eat efforts given to me, but I can't condone Burning leaves on me, I'm gonna have to take my leave from my safety I'm looking for the map to hope to save me They're making a whole lot of changes Wrote a song about that, you should play it I got scared when I think on the ages I look at the line and see so many titans Yeah, that's when I start to get anxious That's when my thoughts can be dangerous That's when I show the warrior And nothing can stop you, forget what I'm saying And where'd my tree go? Sunning hard came and you ain't seen them coming Hands on my head won't tell you nothing Got a taste of the flame, call me all of a sudden Throw it back up like I don't want it Squint my eyes trying to see beyond it All my leaves falling down around it She can't kill hope, oh now you'll done it My hits are critical, never typical Intricate with every syllable, though I'm digital Instruments can be a miracle, maybe visual Even if you hate it, I'll make you feel like you're in it though Call me what you wanna, but never call us forgettable Leave you deep and we will never be indispensable Way that I've been thinking is cinematic, it's beautiful Man, I don't know if I'm making movies or music videos 
Yeah, the tree can rise. Doesn't mean much though when your health declines. See, we've all got something that eludes behind that she tries to keep alive, trying to make it thrive, trying to hold onto the moon and the starry skies. Then she comes up out of nowhere like an evil surprise. Then she hovers over you to finish millions of lives. You don't relate to that? Must not be as elfy as I am. The point I'm making is the horde is a powerful place, and what you repping can affect you in a powerful way. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, but it's not always safe. Just hang with me. This will only take a minute, okay? Just think about it for a second if you look at my tree. Every day when you get up and think you'll never be me, you'll never be elf. Not because you're not, but the shelf will always find a way to split you up and separate self. We are developing, take a look at alliances. Nothing to meddle with, we were never so delicate. Were we even relevant? Depends how you measure it. Take a leaf and then bag it up and give me the evidence. It's pretty evident the leaves of all can never be benevolent. I'm cowed by depending on if you think that I'm genuine, I'm elegant, but not afraid to tell you to make a switch malevolent. I keep it to myself when I think on it. It's that time again. Better grab your harpoons and invite your friends. My bow's back on, yeah, strap me in. Look at me, everybody, I'm ready to sing. Hold a roll right now that I can't predict. Tell me hush your tone, but I can't resist. You'll know that sound. Better raise your fist, the fight begins. I'm back, so enjoying this twist. I'm Hazel, and today we are taking a look at the most interesting and useful crafted items on the Shadowlands Alpha. Let's dig through some profession journals. Starting with alchemy, in Shadowlands, alchemists will be able to craft weapon oils once again. We have the Shadow Core and Embalmer's weapon oils. We haven't had these in some time. If you've never used one before, it's basically a temporary enchant. You slap it on your weapon, you get a 10 minute duration, and it does some cool stuff. While those are active, they will power up special potions. So for example, here we have the new potion of empowered exorcisms, or divine awakening, or sacrificial anima. All of those potions do a thing, but they do more of it if you have a weapon oil currently active. There are also just some straight up stat potions available. It's not only oil potion combos, so these may or may not be your best in slot, but if they are, hooray you get to use weapon oils, but it is another thing that you're going to need to carry around. Alchemy is also getting a couple of new utility potions. The potion of Spectre Swiftness is kind of neat. This one will make you move 100% faster while you are dead in the Shadowlands. That has a two minute duration, and if you ask me, that is a potion that you are never going to have when you need it. Because if you're not dead, you're, of course you're never going to die. We're all invincible until we die. So a very cool potion that nobody's going to use. For a combat utility for the living, we have the Potion of Soul Purity, which attempts to remove one curse, one disease, and one poison. The phrasing attempts means to me that that may not be entirely successful. An interesting concept though, something that you might want to have on hand for Mythic Plus. Contrast that with the new Spiritual Anti-Venom, which cures poisons and reduces new ones, but cannot be used inside of instances. We are also getting a new Invis Pot. The Potion of Hidden Spirit will make you invisible for 18 seconds. And if you can't see anybody because they're all invisible, the Potion of Shaded Sight, well it might not help you, it's a stealth detection pot, slightly raises your stealth detection. I actually don't know if that applies to invisibility. Somebody will know, check the comments. Next let's take a look at enchanting and there are a ton of enchants in Shadowlands because look at all of these slots that you can enchant. We can make boot enchants, bracers, chest, cloaks, gloves, and rings. And the way they've set this up is kind of interesting. So boots will get agility enchants or speed on kill. So if you want to enchant your boots, it's either going to be agility main stat or speed on kill. So agility tunes will probably want to put agility on their boots, but keep an extra set of boots with the speed enchant on them to use during raids. Bracers will get intellect enchants or self healing on kill. And then gloves will get strength enchants or gathering speed. So it seems like any given player can enchant two utilities plus one main stat, unless of course you can benefit from more than one main stat. Chest enchants will get main stats with procs or special effects like an increased mana pool or armor or damage procs. Rings will get secondaries. Cloaks are stamina enchants and then you can get either stamina with speed, stamina with leech, stamina with avoidance, or just stamina with some extra stamina. And then weapon enchants are back and once again have special procs. Uh, here's a couple of examples. We have eternal grace, ascended vigor. Something that's not super flashy, but I'm really happy to see in the enchanting journal right away are shatters. From day one in Shadowlands, you will be able to turn the crystals into shards and the shards into dust. That's really nice. That's not always something that's available from the start of the expansion. So I'm happy about that. 
moving into jewel crafting, jewel clusters are kind of neat. So this is our first example of an optional crafting ingredient that can guarantee a certain secondary on a crafted armor piece. So I will give you a more thorough rundown on this later in this video. We'll take a look at optional regents, but essentially this will let you take a lot of the RNG out of getting your stats on your gear because you'll be able to guarantee at least one secondary. Jewel crafting can also create revitalizing jewel doublets, which is a gem that heals periodically, increased by the amount of Shadowlands gems you have socketed, or a straddling jewel doublet, which gives you speed for every Shadowlands gem socketed. I'm glad that so far I have not found a doublet gem that gives you stats for every Shadowlands gem socketed, or that's going to make it even harder than it already is to ever take off a piece of gear that comes with a socket. Also, fun trivia fact, when I started this video, I thought the word doublet only referred to the clothing piece, but apparently in jewel crafting, doublet can mean a stone glued to a lesser stone, and then there's two of them, so they're a doublet. I may be misinterpreting that meaning, but it definitely doesn't have to be a shirt. In Inscription, we have a couple of interesting things here. The Codex of the Still Mind is new, and this is an item that will allow nearby players to change their talents. Also, presumably you as well, but if in a raid you find that everybody wants to swap talents around on a certain boss, or on every boss, somebody with this codex will be able to pop it and then allow everybody to shift around their talents. That's kind of cool. We also have the Writ of Grave Robbing, which is an inscription crafted item that allows you to open lockboxes that's consumed on use. And then Word of Power is another one of these optional crafting regions. This one increases the item level of a crafted item, so that's not something that you really have to think about very much. You probably want it. This one is the most straightforward of the optional crafting regions, and it should be pretty popular. So in my mind, this is them trying desperately to to give inscriptions something else that keeps value aside from just contracts. Over in engineering, of course, we have a couple of good things. The Electro Jump is a belt attachment that sounds like an engineer only blink. The Wormhole Generator toy is an engineering only toy that will port you to some Shadowland spots. We have the Momentum Redistributor boots. Uh, this just looks fun. It will redistribute most of your fall damage onto nearby enemies. So you could just like jump off a cliff and superhero land in a pile of enemies. That sounds cool. And then we have themed glider kits. So I am deeply sorry that I don't have visuals to show you. I hope they get data mined or maybe they were and I just missed them, but they're probably pretty good. We have one themed glider for each covenant. So you'll be able to really represent all the way off any cliffs you happen to be leaping from. And that makes it time for us to talk about armor crafting professions. So before we look at specific ones, there are two concepts we should lay out here. The first one is optional regions. So this is a thing with all armor crafting professions, tailoring, leatherworking, and blacksmithing. As you have seen, jewel crafting can make the regent that guarantees a specific secondary and inscription can make that thing for a higher item level. You can also add bonus effects and those optional regions come from all kinds of professions and the effects are all kinds of things. So you cannot do this with legend base pieces, and the feature in general still seems kind of under development, some details seem unclear. It definitely seems like you can only use certain bonus effect regions on certain armor slot items, and possibly only certain bonuses on certain armor class items. Um, that is not super well communicated by the game yet, but hopefully it makes more sense when it comes out. But essentially, get extra stuff, use them to craft a piece, the piece gets extra stuff. Uh, the second thing relating to armor professions is there are now these relics of the past. Any crafting profession can make these. There are five different ranks of them, and you can craft these into gear to scale it to a set level and item level. So that's interesting. It's not really making heirlooms, but more making a specific piece of gear for a low level character, possibly for twinking. In my imagination, this is something that you do when you're leveling a character and you just cannot for the life of you find like a pair of gloves or something. You'll be able to craft a pair of them on your max level character and then just scale them down. Alright, so over in tailoring, tailoring will be able to make some optional regions with bonus effects. We have frozen thread here, which will occasionally increase your frost damage done. The rest of them still appear to be under development, but I betcha there will be more damage schools of threads. There's also lots and lots and lots and lots of armor that can be crafted. It appears that in addition to the legendary base pieces, there are also regular pieces for each covenant, which just means so very, very many items that can be crafted. It's a little bit overwhelming. In leatherworking, for fun stuff, leatherworking is getting armor kits. So armor kits are a bit different this time around. In the past, it was a permanent enchant that just increases armor value. This time, it's a two-hour temporary effect that increases the stamina of an item worn on the chest, legs, hands, or feet. 
I suppose there's nothing stopping you from doing all of those. There might be something stopping you. I don't know. It sounds like you can just slap one on each. And giving leatherworking consumables like this feels to me like an attempt to keep the value of leather alive. But since it's only stamina, I only really see these being bought by tanks and only as long as they really need them. It's kind of an odd item. I don't think it's unnecessary, but I don't really get it. Leatherworking will once again be able to craft drums, but they have been again nerfed and will only grant a 15% haste bonus, which is now substantially worse than an actual bloodlust, but it's still going to give you that same debuff. This makes it even more important to have a hunter or a shaman or a mage in your group so that somebody can give you actual lust because drums will kind of work, but at this point, why bother? Leatherworking will also be able to make its own bonus effect regions. We have one that will extend your well-fed duration, uh, one that will absorb some fire damage, and two that aren't done yet. Over in blacksmithing, blacksmithing is going to be able to craft sharpening stones and weight stones. So you can use one to increase either your weapon damage or auto attack for either a blunt or a sharp weapon. These have a one hour duration. So on top of just, wow, sharpening stones are coming back, uh, the takeaway here is that the material, these are made from porous stone and shaded stone. And when was the last time that you saw a stone material get mined along with an ore? I, I went looking to try to figure out when it was. It's been a long, long time. I want to say not since Vanilla WoW. I can't think of an expansion-specific stone region. I could be wrong about that, but still notable. Blacksmithing can also craft bonus effect regions of its own. They have some that will increase damage dealt to specific families of enemies, such as beasts or aberrations, etc. We also have a damage on melee hit, we have bonus armor, and a few undetermined still. It is entirely possible, and sounds likely based on the names of the bonus effect regions we've seen so far, that the blacksmithing crafted ones will only be usable on plate gear, and the cloth threads will only be usable on cloth gear, that kind of thing. Would not be surprised to see that that's the case. Uh, details seem like they're still being ironed out though. Over in cooking, something everybody can enjoy. Uh, first of all, do yourself a favor and read some of these food names. They are a riot. Um, apparently food in Shadowlands is just gross. Uh, for interesting food effect, the Seraph Tenders, or uh, Angel Tendies apparently, um, will give you healing out of combat. Quiet Hounds is a cosmetic food that is going to give you a ghostly appearance that I wish I can show you, but I bet you can guess. And then the most exciting one, check out the fried bonefish. This will give you speed after killing an enemy, a beloved effect from our favorite bear tartar of Legion. We don't know how much speed, so there's a chance that it's not nearly as good as bear tartar was. I can't imagine a world where it's better. That would be wild. But you should be able to stack up that fried bonefish buff with that speed on kill boots enchant. And now we're getting somewhere. I will say that it looks like a notably high amount of materials required to craft this stuff. It does craft three of them, but look at how much stuff you have to put into that. Hopefully some of this drops in large amounts. So those are some profession highlights so far. I do have some final thoughts on the state of profession so far in Shadowlands. I think that the level of flexibility on crafting armor is crazy and really interesting. Being able to guarantee a secondary and a special effect on an item in any slot, and then if you like, scale it down to lower levels, that's wild. The thing that's gonna determine whether or not I'm happy about this is gonna be the final item level compared to dropped gear. I think that's a very delicate balance. If it's too good, if it's too high of an item level compared to what you're getting out of dungeons and raids, people will just rely on crafted gear, which devalues actually going out and doing content. But on the flip side, if it's not good enough, we end up with the usual, which is where it never gets touched again after the first month of the X-Pack. What I am really sincerely hoping for is that they keep the item level of crafted gear competitive with starter gear and like catch-up gear, especially in later patches. I would be totally fine with them updating the item levels of crafted gear so that we can just use those as catch-up gear instead of like your benthic Black Empire bind and account situation. Just give it to crafters and then they can sell it to all the people coming back and catching up alts. Just scale up the item level of crafted gear to the new fresh character baseline. There has to be a good problem with that idea. It seems a little bit too too obvious, but I like it so far. <laughs> Poke holes in it down below. Thank you so much for watching. Let me know what you think and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Bye. In today's episode of the Villains Corner, we'll be going over the lore of the fourth old god to appear in game, Nazoth. Nazoth first made his appearance in Cataclysm, back when we only knew the name of two of the other old gods, and he never directly showed up. We never actually got to see what Nazoth looked like until Hearthstone created a card of him, which I think was the first time we ever found out what a major lore character looked like from a Hearthstone card instead of the other way around. But according to lore, 
Nazoth has been around since the very beginning with all the other old gods. After the four of them crashed on Azeroth, Yashiraj, Cthun, Yogg-Saron, and Nazoth quickly defeated the elemental lords who controlled the planet previously, and then they fought each other for dominance of the land. Yashiraj was the strongest of the four old gods and controlled much of the territory. According to Zalatath, Yashiraj and Nazoth had a climatic battle at the location which would be known as the Broken Shore, where Nazoth suffered a major defeat, which ultimately might have helped him survive when the Titans came. When the Titans discovered Azeroth and the Old Gods, which had corrupted the surface, they waged war on the Old Gods, and then thought to end it once things weren't going super well for their Titan Keepers, by just killing the strongest Old God Yashiraj. In which case they found out that killing the Old Gods would probably destroy the planet. So they didn't kill any more of the Old Gods, and instead went to imprisoning them. And since Yashiraj was the biggest and strongest of all the Old Gods, he's the one who got killed before the Titans found out about this little fact about the planet. And if Nazoth had won at the Broken Shore, he might have been the biggest and strongest one. It might have been the one that was killed by the Titans instead. And so Nazoth was instead the first Old God to be imprisoned, with his prison located halfway between the Well of Eternity and the site which would later become known as Oldham. Since Nazoth was the weakest of the Old Gods, he was pretty compact inside his prison, and wasn't able to break free anywhere near as well as Yogg-Saron or Cthune. But he was able to work with them in order to corrupt mortal beings through the ages. So, when the Titan Keepers created the dragon aspects and gave five dragons some of their powers, the Old Gods collectively worked on corrupting Deathwing and the entire Black Dragonflight. And eventually they were successful, and they put a plan into place that might, maybe, put Deathwing in a position of power to release them all from their prisons, and usher in what they would call the Hour of Twilight, which is just a fancy name for the old gods being released from their prisons. Queen Ajar had been trying to bring the Legion to Azeroth using the Well of Eternity, and the forces of Azeroth were working against her to stop this from happening. So the old gods gave Deathwing the knowledge of how to create something known as the Dragon Soul, which he told everyone would be a super powerful artifact strong enough to close the portal in the Well of Eternity and single-handedly stop the war. And the artifact was strong enough to do exactly that, but it was also secretly designed to give Deathwing an edge over all the other dragon aspects, as it required them to give a portion of their power into the Dragon Soul for it to be created. So, after Deathwing tricked all of the aspects into giving a portion of their power to the artifact, he then immediately betrayed everyone and killed most of the Blue Dragonflight. He also killed swarms of demons and night elves. Deathwing just kind of went on a killing spree and just destroyed so many things and completely rendered the other aspects powerless as he was just able to keep them frozen in place where they couldn't move or speak. Eventually, one of the red dragons, named Coralstraws, was able to break Deathwing's concentration long enough for the other dragons to counterattack, causing Deathwing to go into retreat along with the Dragon Soul. Then, Coralstraws, Brock, Cigar, and Malfurion were able to sneak in and steal the artifact from Deathwing, and bring it to the Well of Eternity in order to try and invert the Demon Portal, to suck all of the demons out of Azeroth. And this plan did work, but it worked so well that it kind of destroyed the Well of Eternity, and caused the planet to break apart in the Sundering. But before the Dragon Soul could fall into the Well of Eternity as well, the bronze dragon Nazdormu grabbed the artifact and then brought it into the future, where it then returned moments later and was seized by Malfurion who placed a spell on it, along with four other aspects that made it so that Deathwing could no longer use it, and they hid it from him, where he wouldn't be able to find it for another 10,000 years. And with the world breaking apart due to the Sundering, the city of the Night Elves was slowly sinking into the ocean, and Queen Ajara tried her best to create a force field around the city to keep all the water out. But eventually, as the pressure of the ocean got too much to handle, she wasn't able to hold the force field for very much longer and it cracked, flooding the city and would have killed everyone if it wasn't for Nazoth's intervention. Nazoth sent a fish to Queen Ajara as a vessel to talk to her and proposed a bargain with her that, if she would agree to work for him, he would give her enough power to save her and her people. Queen Ajara immediately rejects this offer, and then offers a counter-offer, where she'll agree to work with him, but not for him, in exchange for that exact same power. Nazoth begrudgingly agreed to these terms, surprisingly, and turned Queen Ajara and her people into the Naga, as well as giving Queen Ajar herself a lot of extra old god powers. Sometime later, when the roots of the world tree Andrasil reached Yaxaron's prison, it allowed entrance into the Emerald Dream by all of the old gods, 
including Azoth, where he planted a piece of himself in there which later became known as Ilganoth. Although Nazoth wouldn't do much with the Emerald Dream until later, because after the defeat of the Lich King, Nazoth thought the world was sufficiently weak enough for him to make his move and enact the Hour of Twilight again. So Nazoth reached out to all of his minions and instructed them to do a coordinated attack effort, starting with Deathwing, who had gone through a lot since his time during the War of the Ancients, and the whole Dragon Soul fiasco. Nazoth instructed his minions to attach Elementium plates to Deathwing in Deepholm, and also infused Deathwing with lots of his powers, which Deathwing wasn't really able to handle as it twisted his body into all kinds of tentacly shapes underneath. So the metal plates were basically there to hold his body together as it was constantly breaking apart. Then when Deathwing exploded from Deepholm, he flew around Azeroth causing all kinds of natural disasters to occur, which was a great distraction for the other three plans Nizoth had cooked up. Nizoth also called on all of the elemental lords to assist him, but only Alakir and Ragnaros embraced his command. The other two did not and refused to serve him. In exchange for helping Nizoth, he had promised to release Alakir and Ragnaros from their prisons in the Elemental Plains, and he also promised Deathwing control over the rest of the world and the elimination of the other dragon aspects. But he had no plans on actually giving this to Deathwing, and planned on killing him as soon as he was done with his task. Since Neptulon refused Nizoth's call, he also called upon Queen Ajara in order to capture him, because if he had control of Neptulon, he can control the world's oceans and seas, cutting off all sea travel between Azeroth's continents. So his three plans were to send the Naga to Vashir to capture Neptulon, so that they could control the world's oceans, send Ragnaros to Mount Hyjal to burn the world tree, which would cause irrecoverable damage to the planet, and his last plan was to attack the Forge of Origination in Uldum, so that he could claim the Forge of Origination for himself. Now, the Forge of Origination is an incredibly powerful Titan-created device, which was basically installed as a reset button for the planet, where it had the ability to destroy all life on Azeroth, just in case the surface got corrupted or something, which would have been a very convenient tool for Nazoth to gain control of. And Nazoth only needed one of his plans to succeed in order to usher in the Hour of Twilight, and with all of them going on simultaneously, along with Deathwing being a great distraction, there was no way he wouldn't succeed. Except for the fact that literally every single one of his plans was stopped. And Nizoth was very surprised that all of his minions were thwarted at every turn. And in fact, Ragnaros and Alakir were even killed in the Elemental Plains, so he lost two of his strongest minions. So Nizoth gave Deathwing the rest of his strongest remaining minions, including Yorsage and Warlord Zanas, and charged them with taking the Wormrest Temple. Unfortunately, both of his generals were killed, and the mortal races had somehow acquired the Dragon Soul, which was used by the Orc Thrall to shoot a hole through Deathwing's chest. As it turns out, they had gone back in time to that point where the Dragon Soul had disappeared for a few moments, and then brought it to the present. So Deathwing ran to Deepholm to enact the final backup plan, which was basically to tear the planet apart. However, before he could get there, a group of adventurers had jumped on his back and tore his Elementium plates off causing his body to basically fall apart in the sky. So Nazoth had to give him extra power, which caused his body to turn into a completely tentacly monster and no longer really resembled the form of a dragon. But Thrall had chased him down and was able to use the dragon soul to finish him off. So with Deathwing and all of his best minions dead, Nazoth was kind of stuck with only two things left. His control of Ajar and the Naga, and his slight control over the Emerald Dream thanks to Ilganoth. So, when the Burning Legion launched a full-scale invasion of Azeroth again, Nazoth sent his minion Xavius to set forth the Emerald Nightmare, as it allowed them to ever so slowly loosen the prison of Nazoth while everyone was busy, until a group of adventurers was able to go into the Emerald Nightmare, free Malfurion, and kill Ilganoth and Xavius, which kind of put an end to those plans for now. After the Legion is defeated, and Sargeras stabs a sword into the planet, a Shadow Priest who was wielding the blade called Zalatath used the remaining power of the blade in order to stop the corruption from the sword of Sargeras. And then, sometime later, the soul of Zalatath made a bargain with Nazoth to bring him Azeroth's champion in exchange for being freed from his control. So Zalatath called out to the Shadow Priest champion and told him that the Naga were looking for three relics to perform a ritual which would bring about a storm that would wipe out all non-believers on the planet, and that she knew exactly how to stop them. She also brings up the fact that she helped you defeat the Legion, as kind of a bargaining chip in order to trust her, 
which works incredibly well. So the Shadow Priest goes out and collects the three artifacts for her, and then she performs a ritual which brings Nazoth to their location. Nazoth then frees Alatath from the blade, and then bestows a gift upon the adventurer. And then, later on, a horde force goes into the Crucible of Storms and kills Unat, in order to recover these three artifacts. And they find Zalatath as well, which compels whoever picks it up to bring it to their warchief. The blade then eventually leads forces of Alliance and Horde to the city of Najdatar, where Queen Ajara is able to trap them in her city, and then tricks a group of adventurers into using their Heart of Azeroth to open the last prison, which would allow Nazoth to finally escape although they do manage to kill Queen Ajara in the process, whose body is taken away by Nazoth and she is revived and placed in a prison. With Nazoth finally free, he goes about trying to reclaim the Forge of Origination so that he can use its power to kill everyone, as well as the engine of Nalaksha, located in Pandaria. Since the Forge of Origination can be used to kill all life on Azeroth, that's kind of a big deal. Since, remember, it was originally meant as a reset button to the planet and the engine of Nalik can be used to create things, even life itself, so its power is nearly limitless in its potential uses. Rathion, one of Deathwing's sons who was not corrupted by the old gods, with the help of adventurers, the Keeper Ra, and the Titan Construct Mother, is able to stop Nazoth from taking control of these two Titan facilities. Mother is a Titan Construct who was created for the sole purpose of research in the old gods and finding a way to remove them from the planet and is able to come up with a plan that might be able to kill Nazoth, or at the very least, severely weaken him to the point where he can be contained again. You see, Mother spent so many years researching the Old Gods, that she was able to accidentally create one of her own, and is probably the premier Old God expert in the Warcraft universe, as she was like a supercomputer left behind by the Titans to focus on a single objective, and when she never heard back from the Titans, she just kept working on it, to a fanatical, but very accurate degree. And because of this, she was able to find a way to combine the powers of the Forge of Origination through the Engine of Nalik to create a super weapon that would act like a scalpel to remove Nazoth from the planet. Something which even impressed the Titan Keeper Radin, who created these two devices. So a group of adventurers go into the sleeping city of Nihilatha to fight Nazoth, so they can get close enough to use the super weapon to hopefully kill him. But during their adventures, they run across Queen Ajara, who is currently being tortured in a prison next to the Blade Zalatath. Once adventurers free Ajara, she tells everyone that the Blade is the only way to contain Nazoth, and that she had been planning on stabbing an end to him the entire time, but she got killed right before she was able to do it. So with Zalatath in hand, they make their way to Nazoth's core, and Rathion uses the Black Blade to cut a path open to the heart of Nazoth, where, after a lengthy battle, they manage to weaken Nazoth enough to the point where the holder of the Heart of Azeroth is able to channel the energies of the Engine and Forge directly into Nazoth's weakest point, killing him for the time being. And that brings us to the end of the story of Nazoth. Whether he actually dies or not is kind of up in the air, as super powerful beings don't really stay dead in Warcraft lore. But for the time being, he is defeated and probably won't show up anytime soon in the future. Alright, and that's the Villain's Corner on Nazoth. If you enjoyed the video, I'd highly suggest watching the playlist on all the other ones. These videos take months to make at a time, so it would really help out if they got more views. As always, I'd like to thank Rachel for doing the drawings in this video. If you like her artwork, I'll have links to her website and Twitter down in the video description. Thank you very much everyone for listening, as always. And as always, again I would like to thank our following contributors. Noble87, Charm, Hazelnutty Games, and Hero Marodex. Thank you everyone for letting us use your content, because we always need to remind ourselves if the people out there don't release any content. And this is quite evident with music at the moment. I must say, I totally understand that people want to do what they like to do. But for quite a while now, I've had issues finding music, new music. I could play the same tunes, the old tunes over and over again. That's not an issue. There is enough out there to do that. But with regard to new music and music that is themed to the current content, to the vibe of 
the respective expansion and the story that happens in those expansions. It's very difficult to quote-unquote sell an old song to an audience that doesn't well, it doesn't ring the bell properly. I've looked at a couple of tunes the other day, actually one just before I started recording this last outro segment, um, with regards to The Dark Lady and seeing if I could quote-unquote justify to play the song, because quite a few aspects of the lore worked with the lyrics of the song as well, but or to that ratio, and that was just nothing that I could go along with. This is not a plea, it's just an acknowledgement that we really need those content creators to do their work if we want to be entertained, if we want to have that extra bit of connection to the characters. I remember some time ago, I was in Cavo's Twitch channel, and I asked him if he had done a song about the Dark Lady recently. He said he hadn't, and he would look into it, and about a couple of days later, or some, no more than a week later, the lyrics for Windrunner came back to me, and he even gave me an, an acknowledgement. So it's always that bit of extra that you can achieve if you want to. I, again, I remember vividly Leto's Civil Atomy, that is, her um, strategy guide music videos for Antares. I loved almost every one of them. Musical, story, song, boss guide in Antares. Charm with her original night elf music. Were I a main night elf player, I would love it. I'm not. I'm still liking it. So there is that aspect of the game that isn't even made by Blizzard, and we still love. All right, <laughs> enough of me rambling on. You guys got to get back to what you're doing. Stay safe, everyone. Please wear a mask. I'm going to be political in that aspect. Save yourself. Save your fellow community members. It's not just for you. It's for them as well. Someone said quite a while ago, going out into the public these days is like playing Russian roulette with your mouth as a gun. I don't think I could have put it better myself. With that said, thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you at episode 113. Bye, everyone. I hope you have enjoyed your time with the Forsaken of Cops Run Radio this episode. Should you have an idea for a little segment of your own, I would love for you to become part of the cast. Or if you are a creator of Warcraft original or parody music, and would like to be featured on the show, contact us at mail at gmail.com or on Twitter at CopsRunRadio. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash CopsRunRadio. Contact information for our contributors is available on our website, crr.podbean.com, along with the links for the segments played on the episode and other information. Cops Run Radio is a non-profit fan podcast. All segments, music and sound effects are used with permission. Thank you for listening. Now go out, my minions. Let nothing stand in your way. Until next time.